0: back, Philly, NYC, New Jersey, I'm talking to you guys out there, we're bringing some great Hawks Bay and Martinborough wines your way in January, uh, I'm swinging through, we're going to be doing a Giblet Gravel's Masterclass at the Musket Room in New York City, which I'll be hosting with, looks like Steve Smith and um, uh, Michael... Henley, who is uh, yeah, it sort of, should be really interesting. Three guys, you know, from sort of winemaking side. We've got a master of viticulture, and he's actually a master of wine too, Steve Smith, and Michael, who's uh, comes at it more from the marketing and business side of things, uh, but has worked for some pretty amazing outfits over the years. So, uh, any wine writers out there, uh, it's filling up fast, and uh, any. Producers and friends around who know people in New York tell them to reach out, but I don't know. It's going pretty quick. I think the buzz is spreading about it, so I'm excited about that. We're going to do a few dinners uh, out in Pennsylvania, out in the out in the sticks a bit, uh, Quaker Town and York. Uh, but you know, they got nice country clubs and restaurants out there as well, and they want to drink the wine. I'm going to pour it for them. So, and of course, we'll probably do something at Macrosson's in Philadelphia. I'm working on that right now. Um and that that always sells out really quick, so just hop on that when you can. Uh yeah, excited. Got a few new releases coming out, which I'm excited about. New Pinot coming out soon. Uh of course we'll have Rose, new vintage of Rose coming soon. And the Testify is off in the distance. The Testify read will probably release this fall. So things are trucking along. Um, I also want to reach out and thank Zan Harding again for last week's podcast or whatever, a couple weeks ago. Um, We've gotten some really good feedback on that. I hope people keep going back and listening to that. For those of you have listened to it, I really hope you recommend it to folks and share it. Uh, Speaking of which, we have a new Twitter account at Vin story podcast. I've actually had the account for a while, but I've decided to load it onto my phone and actually be a little more active with it and post some things on there that are applicable to the podcast, but maybe not my personal, um, my personal Twitter account, which, you know, maybe might be a little more conversational with buddies and things like that. Uh, in and out of the industry. Um, Today's podcast, we have uh, Janine Rickards, who is a very talented young winemaker uh, based in Martinborough, but she's worked all over the world. Uh, France, California, I think was in there somewhere, maybe Oregon. Uh, Anyway, she'll tell you about it. And um, yeah, I've known Janine for quite a while. We kind of met each other years ago when we were both studying. She was doing it from distance, and then I think I mentioned this in the podcast where she just always had really great jobs. She worked at Aturangi at that stage when I met her uh, for Helen Masters, who's been on this podcast and, you know, is one of the best Pinot producers in the world and uh, went on to work places like Pegasus Bay, Yoliker, and now she's uh, settled in as uh, head winemaker at Erlar, which is a biodynamic facility in Gladstone, actually, where I used to make my Pinot. So, Uh, sort of all full circle and um, yeah it's the small industry once you get into it particularly here in New Zealand. So uh, Janine's a a mate. She's really cool. Uh, She talks to us a bit about her hunting and foraging. Uh, She's definitely a meat eater which I am as well and now there's something to be said about you know if you're going to eat meat go go get it yourself or get it from somebody you know who, who who farmed it or who, uh, who hunted it. So, uh, she's legit, man. She's authentic. And, uh, that's, I think what we're going for on this podcast is authenticity and people who really know their stuff, all that. She's been a part of making some of New Zealand's greatest pinots. And I'm really excited to see what she's going to do with the Earl wines, which have always been really good. And I'm looking to see, what her little fingerprint is going to be with those wines and that great vineyard they have there in Gladstone, just North of Martinborough. Uh, what else is happening? Uh, I got a nice cup of warm tea on a first rainy day here for a while. We're looking like it's going to be a drought here in Hawks Bay. That's good tea. We're so lucky here in Hawks Bay. We get to, not that it's cheap, but we got Manuka honey anywhere you want. And, uh, You start feeling a little something in your throat, have a little manuka, it's great. But anyway, very, very great to have some rain today, Uh, especially with, yes, water issues happening. Uh, Nice for the vineyard guys to not have to irrigate, and I hope they're all working towards dry farming, because as we mentioned in that Zan Harding podcast, it's coming, guys. You're going to be paying for water. Um, What else? Going to Italy. Uh, We're going to travel through there, coming up soon, so... Anybody got any suggestions, friends in Piedmont, uh, Pimonte, uh, we're going to visit some producers there, any luck, and maybe I'll sit down and interview somebody. Um, I might bring my gear along with me, which is pretty compact anyway. So I don't think I'll have time to do anything like this in America when I'm there, but it should be pretty chill in Italy. Looking forward to going to see some family there. Anyway, let's talk to Janine. Uh, she's got some, some cool stories and good things to tell us. And uh, Ray at an interesting part of her career. And yeah, I think we'll be speaking to her again down the road. Here she is, Janine Rickards. got evacuated and because mm-hmm. the hills were on fire behind it and they're okay but he's a buddy of mine's a chef he was doing me- meals lunch and dinner every and breakfast every day for the firefighters and everything yeah. out there because he runs like a he has a commercial kitchen space there with a couple other chefs so they were just round the clock cooking and um yeah and just a little bit of a Help with a little bit of vineyard in Italy, and that's about it. But just harvest. And mm. and then I did some work for a guy in um, Oregon as well. Okay. Literally like a weekend of helping him rack. And it was like right after this conference, and we met. And he was like, yeah, what? I said, I'd love to. I got weekend free. Do you want to hang out? And I helped him <laughs> with some Pinot and Cabernet, actually. Cool. Um, but we are recording now.
1: All right. So you're we're I'm live. live.
0: We're live. Um I'm just going to put these headphones in for a second and uh, make sure Janine is nice and clear.
1: It sounds okay. But I for think my croaky so. cold,
0: yeah, well, I'm still
1: getting over. Nine days of antibiotics, and I'm still.
0: <clears throat> sounds sultry, you know? <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Careful the kind of men that listen to this podcast, you know. Um, but yes, yeah, so interesting times for you. New job?
1: Very exciting, actually, because I, I sort of um, had my sights set on that earlier position when it came up last year, and, and, and that it's worked out that I am going to get up there and work with Angus and Organics and a bit of, well, obviously, Biodynamics as well, yeah. which is really cool, and, and good to be back in the region of the Wairarapa. It feels like home. I, I felt like at the Pinot Conference in Wellington,
0: you were uh, cheating on us or something? I, or just, <laughs>
1: I just felt like it was, you know, was such a huge symbolism about the sense of place and I'd been everywhere in the last two years or felt like I was all over the show. Coming back here really felt like coming home, so it's good. Um, yeah, and being at Yulika for this harvest, being a challenging season was... Uh, it was a great experience. They're a lovely couple. You know, I think Timuna Pino, is something very special, quite different to Martinborough.
0: Yeah, what would you put the, the three? I mean, obviously we're talking more larger site area in the um, Masterton, Gladstone uh, as, and then Timuna, mm. and then the main sort of terraces, I guess is what you call, it, the main Martinborough area. As far as, you're, as far as you're concerned, I kind of have my own thoughts, but I'm curious.
1: Well, I've mostly worked with Martin Bratera's fruit, so I mean, I made a little bit for myself this year, and I, I'm pretty excited about those four barrels. Like, for me, they're all quite distinctively different, and I guess my experience at this stage is limited to Gladstone, like, not, not, not that much experience up there, so I guess once I've spent a bit of time up there, I'll have a better. Few or three sub regions, but um,
0: but even out of the wines you've tasted, you know, I suppose one of the things I'm wondering I kind of know that Tamuna is a little bit later and yeah. a little bit, uh, um, yeah, it's a l- maybe a little less of those earth tones, yeah, and you get on the terraces. But I think one of my big questions is, is of the Gladstone fruit, just taking them, is that something that is more suitable to like whole bunch or is it you know is it darker fruit is it heavier is it or is it light is it thinner and not quite as much character you think or
1: from what i've tasted i would say that gladstone has a bit more sort of elegance to it timuna in my experience is darker spicier really dark fruits and yeah um you know, it's a week, ten days later than here. About probably similar, on par with Gladstone, but they've got quite a special, different microclimate up there, I think. And then there's that many wineries, you know, within that small region out there that are diverse within themselves. So it's a bit hard to generalize.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't. Wanna, I mean, that's. What I don't want to do is generalize, but I will say, because I made Pinot there for three years, that and a good part of probably four different vintages I would have tasted in barrel at Erlar that you're, you're in for a treat. Yeah. There's, I tasted some awesome stuff there. And when I was there in barrel and that was being worked on at the time and, uh, you know, they were, I think experimenting. They had like one, one French intern one year that really did. He did like a whole, a hundred percent whole bunch and yeah. they were kind of playing around with different stuff. But then obviously the biodynamic site and, and all that is pretty exciting to be working with very
1: exciting and i think carol since she's been there after guys sort of brought a brightness to the wines from what i gather so it'll be interesting to try and find a medium between yeah between those maybe yeah
0: and what's her background i don't know anything about she's uh carol
1: she was at uh winemaker for vinpro for a very long time in central and then she was at geeson for a while and now she's up here yeah,
0: and she's running the vineyard, or she's in the she's,
1: wine? she's been in the winemaker, but yeah. um, she's she's departing, and
0: yeah. so yeah, opened up the the way yeah. for for Janine to step in, and uh, I think one of the more curious, you know, this is purely selfish reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast was, uh, you're a great winemaker, and but you because you were local, the Kiwi, and I was this guy who came from far, far away, hmm. I felt like I was like so far behind when I got here. I think like I definitely had some probably more life experience than people that were younger than me. You're not that much younger than me, but you are younger than me. But I felt like I got here and so many of the Kiwi winemakers, e- e- even ones that were 10 years younger than me, were just way ahead as far as like the jobs, knowing where the cool places were to work, where the good vineyards, where the good wines. And I remember distinctly remember meeting you at Aturangi and being like, how the hell is this girl got this awesome job at like one of the best wineries in the world you know and you were kicking ass at it like you you know there was absolutely nothing about you or talking to helen at the time that like you didn't absolutely deserve that job and you weren't kicking ass at doing that job and it seems like since then you've continued on to have work at really good places and work for interesting people and including up until Today, where you're working a new place. So, I guess I want to figure out how the hell did you get into it, you know?
1: (laughs) Very lucky, right place and right time. I actually did my first two harvests in Hawkes Bay at Cellini and worked with Eleanor Dodd, who works in the office at Aturangi. And she asked me to do Salador for the summer. And I was like, sure, as long as I can do harvest. Good move. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just so happened that Helen was pregnant with her second child. And uh, needed some help in the winery and I stayed there for seven harvests six and a half years and learned so much yeah. great family business loved it some yeah special special people special vineyards
0: yeah that's one of the spots in all of New Zealand that I I try to get people to say you gotta, you gotta yeah. stop in there you'll just feel it when you walk in mm. and, and uh, obviously the wines deliver and everything um, but yeah, and then where did you go? You went overseas after that? I did.
1: I, I went to Burgundy for 2012 for the growing season and vintage.
0: How uh, was that vintage there?
1: It was um, small and cooler, like they've had a runoff, but um, I, th- I think the 12s are looking really good actually. And it was a fantastic experience to get out in the vineyards and really get an appreciation for Burgundy. But also Beaujolais, so I work for Thibaut Leger Belaire and he has a domain in Moulin avant. <clears throat> so that was that was pretty rad going down there f- every week and doing harvest down there and then back up in Burgundy. And um,
0: So it's basically the same time.
1: Yeah, we did a full week down there and then we came back and started and yeah. did the week up in Neu Saint Georges. He's got some great sites, um, all all along the coat, basically from Corton through to Uh and then I came home and f- f- right place, right time. Helen mentioned that Matt Donaldson at Pegasus Bay might need some someone, so I approached him and another family of Twelve Vineyard. I worked there for three years as the red wine maker alongside Matt. Which was um, a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it'd be fun, I would think. Oh, those Donaldson brothers are fantastic. (laughs) They really. I sat across from them at one of the lunches at Pinot 17, and within like seconds, I was starting to get the dynamic because the one brother had just returned from Europe or something. Yeah. And the three of them together, and I couldn't tell who was older or, yeah, it was like they just had their own thing going on. It reminded me a lot of me, and I have one brother, and we're really tight. Yeah. And sometimes people are like, wait you're the younger one and what you know i was kind of felt like i was in the middle of that and i just talked music with matt for there was another woman next to us a writer or something and we just talked music for like 40 minutes you know that was we didn't talk anything about wine you know yeah. it's just like give me some of that somebody walking by with a bottle but um he seemed to know a lot about music and, yeah. and uh, i think we were talking about itunes or versus Spotify and all that kind of stuff but you know you had some strong opinions which was cool.
1: I love the music in that winery you know it's like psych trance or hip hop or something you know a lot of fun and energy you know for long days at Vintage there but um, very generous family and incredible wines and yeah it's great
0: and they make uh, obviously Pinot Riesling is what I've always had a lot Mm -hmm. of the Riesling Chardonnay
1: Chardonnay they do uh, Merlot Cabernet Straight Malbec we did one year he's got a bit of freedom so we we, you know if something's thought out we'd make it as a solo wine so the Muscat normally got you know a tiny amount of it so it might go into the Sauvignon Simeon or something but we made a dry Muscat um,
0: of course Sauvignon Blanc yes (laughs) course yeah yeah how do you how do you think uh because i'm heading down there well tomorrow night but i'll be in out friday morning Mm -hmm. uh in the sort of vineyard areas of well, what they're calling north canterbury now yeah a a bit of a rebranding yeah Um, that's great but it seems like uh you know there's obviously millions of people listen to this podcast if i let the cat out of the bag that there's sort of undervalued fruit in that area there's a couple uh you know, up and coming producers and a couple and a few obviously established ones. Uh, and some you know, you have Pyramid Valley and Pegasus Bay probably I would assume they're the two sort of hottest ones in the area or
1: Black Estate. Black
0: Estate's doing I mean, really well, yeah. Amazing, great wines. Um, yeah.
1: Tongue and Groove. Like there's a lot of lot of energy and fabulous people down there. You know, it's a it's a really strong community and I, I love that about North Canterbury. They're a team. We're working together for that region. And all sort of, you know, big organic movement um, for a lot of them into their foraging and just seem to be well connected as a family, which I think is important.
0: Suits you and your foraging. Uh, oh, I loved it
1: down there. Yeah. So,
0: how, All right, we'll, we'll get into, go back to wine a little bit, but how did you get so much, excuse you're a... Does your, is it your Instagram that says you're a huntress or so, or what is it?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the potential name for my small amount of white I've made this this year. Um, so yeah, I've done a lot of hunting, especially this year being back here. I guess the hills and the Wairarapa aren't as steep as North Canterbury, so I get out and about a bit more than I did down there. <laughs> right, I've been, um,
0: what do you mostly hunt? <clears throat> uh,
1: deer, I guess, or deer stalking, Um Pig hunting if we can. Not not this winter because they've tenated the hills so we won't go out there with the dogs. But um yeah, deer and pigs and I've shot a chamois and
0: Ooh.
1: I'd love to get down and get some tar. I think it's a beautiful meat to eat.
0: Tar, what way was tar? Tar,
1: it's like from the um and the Himalayas.
0: Oh, it's like a yak kind yeah. of thing. Yeah.
1: Beautiful meat. Yeah. Um but that's some steep country that they yeah, So it, I'm literally. like, oh, I'll work towards that. <laughs> get my fitness up. Maybe we'll do a trip. To stick Hang with off the easy a stuff. A gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I just got into it through. Um, I, I mean, I grew up on a sheep and beef farm, and i have always like been a meat eater and liked quality meat. And I, I got frustrated at the quality I could buy. Um, so I wanted to get into hunting to provide myself, be as self-sustainable as possible. It's awesome. Self-sufficient,
0: yeah. Yeah, I'm always looking for swaps and stuff. So mm,
1: I've had a lot of <laughs> inquiries <laughs> about <on> that. that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, I've done it a little bit in Hawke's Bay. Uh, my mate Corey, he was just over uh, this Sunday with crayfish because he does mm. pots, but then he, he goes into the bush quite a bit, and he came back with some venison. Uh, and But then he also comes with white bait, and yeah. he's just he, he does it all and fish just regular fish you know nice. and he has them all filleted and vacuum sealed and he knows and then I just give him wine so it's good and I, I like this kind of bartering if you know totally I'll start it's the hitting way to go. up when I'm coming down from uh, from Hawke's Bay maybe we can provide some mm-hmm. citrus I don't know what, what can we give you from Hawks Bay <laughs> you know there's this, lots up in Hawks yeah, Bay yeah there is there's a lot of uh, oh, that's right you spent those two years at Cellini you would yeah. yeah Can visit that farmer's market and Fabulous farmers market. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's funny, I'll probably still only get there once a month or something. You know, when you live there, you f- take it for granted. But then
1: yeah.
0: it's what's good to have tourists through and visitors. You're like,
1: yeah, let's go, let's to, go to the it. market. <laughs> I'd love to get one going here in Martinborough more regularly. They have one on a, on a, I think it's a Sunday just through the summer once a month, which for me isn't enough. So I've, I've signed up to an organic vegetable supplier. And so I'm getting my veggie boxes and yeah. pretty much my own meat, and Mick, my partner, does white baiting. And you know, we've been for a few dives on the weekend. And
0: it's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, it's a good lifestyle.
0: What uh, back? In my, one of my questions about uh, deer slash venison is a lot of the venison. There's a lot of venison export from New Zealand. We apparently do really nice venison. Yeah, apparently. Um, and when they call it wild venison. Is that actually, are those wild venison farms, or are they actual bush venison? And...
1: I believe it is wild. There's a couple of game producers, and one down in Baca- Vicargo. I spoke to him a few years ago, and uh, yeah, I mean, he goes up in the chopper in the fieldland and, and shoots them and then processes them and exports that through his business. Um, but then the farm venison I thought in the States it was called Savannah.
0: Like, yeah. It's quite but rare. I've just seen some like smaller farmed venison even in Hawke's Bay every yeah. so often. There's one or two spots that they kinda of rotate in and out of. Mm. And so I just wasn't sure if you knew No. Like what if there's a obviously one would be gamier because it's foraging more and you know
1: Yeah, a lot of it has to do with the time of year and the the feed that they're eating. So at the moment the spring grass, they're all coming down low and eating the fresh fresh growth and it, you know, putting on condition after winter and, and looking really good. So if you go to the right spots then
0: mm. you get and a nice
1: tasty beast.
0: Butchering are you you do
1: Yes, yeah, do that all ourselves and try and utilise as much as possible. So bring the liver and the heart out and eat that and make pate. Um And just have the heart with some onions and sand. It's it's
0: funny, it's like all the stuff that we love to eat is actually there for us Mm. to have and just learn how to do it. But there's so many people that are like, I don't wanna make pate. I just wanna (laughs) eat it. Just wanna (laughs) eat it. It's
1: a lot of work, you know, like you you gotta hang it up, you gotta skin it, you gotta break it down, you gotta age it, you gotta tidy it up, you gotta backpack it. Like it's very time consuming.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: But it's satisfying
0: absolutely is it i had a i grew up across the street from a uh an old italian guy who was the kind of the town he was a butcher by trade but he would do all the um the hunting butchering butchering right there for all like my friend's dads and stuff who you know brought in deer from, from the woods and everything um And yeah, I could, you know, I've been back there in his shop and he had like a kind of outfit and refrigerated area behind his house and it was an ongoing constant Mm. process. And then there was sausages and stuff that, you know, he would do at times. And, uh, so I, and that, and that's why I asked is like how quick you feel like you can get to being efficient in doing that, you know, because it's gotta be challenging, right? Yeah.
1: It's, it's physical too, but, um. I won't be opening a butcher shop anytime soon. No. I'm not that quick, but uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, you, get a you real know, it, it's
1: like a hobby. So, yeah, the more you do it, the faster and easier it is.
0: Get the good knives.
1: Yeah, sharp knife. and Yeah,
0: yeah. I just think there's too many people who are too far from their food and mm. don't really – I think, you know, if anything, you'd gain more of an appreciation for conservation, more of an appreciation for what good meat is and sort of being not into – Factory farming kind of stuff, and
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, there is a
1: huge disconnect for a lot, but I think the momentum's changing quite fast. It is. It you really know, is.
0: There's a lot. Of, it's certainly back home in the states, and uh, and more and more people in New Zealand. But I think New Zealand comes from a much. They're a lot tighter to their history. It mm-hmm. might be just a generation away from from that, and they're getting back to it really quick. Like you yeah. know, probably our generation and younger. I mean there's certainly the city kids and stuff that don't know, you know, don't want to be bothered or whatever but um you know most I I would say most people in New Zealand are either a generation or a cousin or family away from <coughs> farmers and somebody who was, you know, somewhat closely involved in production of dairy or yeah or some type of farm that had a, either a you know something right next to it or whatever so it's pretty pretty easy to get back into it but yeah it was felt like in the states you know with my parents generation it kind of got lost in there in the 50s 60s 70s when they started doing you know like i said factory farms and more you know food became more widely available and it was a little bit taken for granted where my grandparents was still like they had one butcher they had you know we knew hunters they would go you know they made their pasta they you know they Hmm. they were and that but by the time I came along, they had almost stopped doing a lot of that stuff, too. Um, and they certainly had their purveyors that they would go to. And my grandmother's um, brother was a farmer not far from us. So it wasn't like that far away. But like a suburbia kind of grew. Yeah. And everybody started going back to the cities, too, in the 80s and it 90s.
1: It too busy. And then you yeah, just then, take the easier Absolutely. Route
0: and- but now, and it's mostly been like it's sort of the same generation as the, the hipsters, <laughs> which, you know, it's funny. It's a funny term, but, uh, and people maybe a little bit older than me and then certainly younger have gotten, uh, more into like preserves and, you know, we're going to, I have, you know, my grandparents had a farm, so I'm going to reopen that up and I knew all these chefs, so I'm going to purvey to them. And, uh, I know, like I could probably name 12 people that did, weren't doing that when I first met them that are now yeah. in that business in one way or another or they work with a dairy farm and make, their, and make cheese that is now a premium cheese like all these different yeah. type of things that weren't going on So and I almost think like we got so busy with work that they took food away from us, you know they took like really good food yeah. and quality food and now we're, we're kind of taking it back, you know thankfully
1: yeah, exactly so, I mean, I think health of people was deteriorating pretty quickly, you know it's, I did a permaculture course up at Kohanga in Wairau last year and it, it just really brought home to me the importance of nutrition and, and food and health, well-being, all that Yeah, it's there's nothing in some of the food Growing your own food, the supermarket vegetables have got nothing nothing in there that's actually good for you, I don't think um,
0: Yeah, and I think once you because we, we do a lot of gardening around the house and everything and Veggie gardens, herbs, flowers, whatever. Once you get, the more and more you get into it, the more and more you can quickly spot, like, wait, what? I don't want that, you know? Like, there's nothing in that, or there's no flavor in that either. Mm, Exactly. That's a big one. It's like, just out of pure gluttony, how about the flavor? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, So, yeah, I encourage anybody, even if you live in the city, have a little garden. Uh,
1: It's so simple to have a few greens in there that you can whip up a... Satisfying meal from, you know, spinach, herbs. Herbs just like are the wow factor in a, in a dish. Yep. Lift it to a next level.
0: Yeah, especially because they got a lot more heat than we have here mm. in most parts mm. of the world. And we could pull it off here. Though, there's a lot of unfrosted areas on these hills and stuff in New Zealand. But get, so yeah, let me get back to North Canterbury. Mm. What, uh, I think for most people, in the world, looked at a map, already New Zealand's pretty far south. Yeah. You can almost get your head around Otago, or at least I can now. After the first time in 2010, I drove from Christchurch into Queenstown, and I realized it turned from this green pastures and rolling hills to desert, alpine desert, Mm -hmm. you know. Going back in the other direction, North Canterbury, I mean, I suppose it's near Blenheim, but a lot of sunlight hours there and everything. I mean, what... Yeah, I mean hillsides. Like I I, I'm going Friday, so I'll see more. You know, I think um,
1: there's a lot of diversity there. There's a lot of limestone slopes, which are which are good for the you know draining of the frost. It's quite extreme in some ways, but a different extreme to Central. Um, like when I arrived there, they'd had a couple of years of drought, you know, and then and then when I left, you know, they'd had a large amount of rainfall. I could, I think it's hard work, but very satisfying for the end products. Um, some fantastic producers there, a biodynamic wheat wheat grower and just people who are, are really passionate about quality produce and they battle with the elements. I mean, we have a similar climate in some ways in the Wairarapa. We get the same southerlies come through. You know, generally, historically, you look at, Frosted seasons. They're mostly on par with North Canterbury because of the the way the mountains shape and how the how the air comes in, and um, and some sites are very similar as well because of the elevated river terrace. It's not just all the limestone that they've got. Mm. <clears throat> so um, yeah, I mean North Canterbury is just a magic place. Huge huge area for um, huge, a lot of potential and. Mm for growth and expansion and like I said for me the the biggest thing about them was the people put people down there in the community
0: yeah that's what I hear from Mm. a lot of people Mm. so and my buddy just moved down there Uh, he seems real happy with the area so um, and you were there till just a year or two ago or a year ago yeah I
1: left uh, yeah when did I leave just uh, beginning of last year I had a local wild food challenge that I had organised the second year in a row, and I then jumped on the ferry and came up home to my parents. They live up near Auckland, or just near the Coromandel, and um, flew out to Australia last year for nine months. Worked in South Australia for a sparkling producer, a really good friend of mine, Kate Laurie, Deviation Road, and learnt quite a bit about sparkling wine and champagne. Wow. So harvest through to Taraj, and... Uh, then then sort of had to make the decision did I want to live in Australia or come home I wanted to come home
0: good decision
1: so uh, I think
0: sparkling production is like you could take me on wine tours of famous chateaus or you know different productions all over the world and I'm still going to be like, oh, it's a nice tank, or okay, there's Mm. Amphora, that's cool, but when I see a true method production, it blows my mind. It's
1: such hard work. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: We went to this one place in uh, in Berlucchi in in Lombardia in Italy, and it's like their famous method area. Um, uh, And it was five years before they released their cheapest method. You know, you're just like uh, just from a business standpoint of view you're like how the exactly.
1: hell <laughs> exactly you
0: have to have some serious balls to start doing method you know you're just like yeah, I'm probably going to lose money for 50 years you know yeah. and yeah. by the way do I have some caves that you know I can <laughs> dig out of the the mountain or whatever so but that was uh, and that was like Chardonnay Pinot. Chardonnay
1: Pinot and then they also made um, still Chardonnay and Pinot and a Syrah but all in very tiny volumes so I got to play with the Pinot, and she released uh, two from that last vintage, 16. And uh, I was over there a month ago tasting tasting some of the wines with her, judging at the Royal Adelaide show.
0: So, oh, who are you? Yeah,
1: it was so a fun experience. Nice. Yeah. good to catch up with everyone, and the Blanc de Noir, which is just being released from 2016.
0: I have to admit, I... Want to get uh, some? Have no idea how everybody gets involved in shows. Yeah, because like all my friends do it, and yeah. and, and, more and more and more of my friends are doing it, and I'm like, I don't even know how do you I don't know, nobody, how do you fit the time in for I'm, it too? I guess, like, I, I guess it's that too, but I've yeah. never like looked into it. But I just I, I suppose what do you start stewarding and then kind of yeah. goes from there. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I think I polish enough glasses in my former life growing up in a restaurant that I just don't <laughs> feel like doing it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I worked in the hospital before winemaking, and yeah, done a fair bit of polishing, but um, I, Nick, Nick Ryan got me into Adelaide last year, and then I did a second year this year, and I just uh, did my first associate judging at Air New Zealand last week, so. That,
0: that was, would have been, that looked fun, just from a few, few pictures it was on the.
1: challenging for me, you know, recovering from a winter illness, but, yeah, you know, um, got through it, and met some fantastic people, and. It was uh, it was good. New Zealand's come out of twenty seventeen with some strong wines, you know.
0: So you were tasting enough um, seventeen whites, Sauvignon honestly, and, Gris, yeah. and Pinot, Gris, yeah, mm.
1: yeah, Riesling, I think.
0: Riesling, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so that was that was fun, and then
0: uh, it's a tricky thing. The shows because on the one hand you're like, what is it? <sighs> You know, it can really matter for certain things, and obviously, if there's, um, I think Air New Zealand probably is at the top of that because they will actually buy some of the wine, and yeah. you it gets published all over the world, and it's going to be on their flights, and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Um, and there's, I think it's, I see nothing wrong with the fun of going into a little competition with your friends and or or peers or whatever, and and uh, but then sometimes it's like there's so many of them. Uh somebody coming up to say hi, it's not that if they come up I can just pause, it's fine. Yeah. Um but it, it's it's funny how you don't know which one to enter. They all seem like I never heard of the Royal Adelaide but show. I'm sure it's lovely. You it's know? huge too. There were and two thousand I mean, seven hundred yeah, like, lines, you know, like four amazing. days of solid judging. So yeah. it was full on.
1: Yeah.
0: I'll I'll pause this
1: car- I haven't been jibber jabbering too much.
0: And we're back live. <laughs> just take a little break to speak to the uh not neighbor, owner,
1: the owner of this
0: this lovely estate where we're I do all my podcasts on uh, vineyard homes <laughs> um, on beautiful days. But then, yeah, we were just talking about uh, Peter Proctor and biodynamics, mm-hmm. and yeah, that book, Grass the Nettle, is a really good sort of baseline. Totally, get you understand it. Cool little drawings in it, and uh, gives you. It makes it, I think, a little less scary and mm. really practical. Straight away, which I think is really probably what it comes down to with biodynamics, and what I you're think doing.
1: so for me, I'm more practical than studious, and I, you know, working at a couple of biodynamic places now, getting your hands into it and getting a, a feel for the place is more important than. You know.
0: It's just really, yeah, it really is like this. I think if the guy was a visionary or clairvoyant or whatever they want to say, what he was really smart about was like and and, his, and, and uh, my partner has studied, studied the education side of it as well, that he mm-hmm. does a lot for, you know, obviously Waldorf schools and stuff are based off of this, that it's there's some very, very practical things about it. Like uh, the, the biggest one on the education side was like, I think they don't teach the ABCs and reading or writing or anything until they're like six or seven. They don't bother doing it when they're four or five, six, because all that two years they learn in two weeks right and it's like yeah their brain by the time they hit se- I think everything he does is in sevens and yeah. by the time they hit seven years old like 98% of kids brains are like at a s- spot where they can learn all that right away and then yeah. like the, you could have spent instead of trying to beat the ABCs totally. into them yeah. you could have t- have them spent learning mo- about more motor skills and social skills and you know which is probably what you know they need more of anyway absolutely and yeah. so on the the vineyard side, uh, and I have never like done a season as a biodynamic grower or anything. I've just done gardening and, and everything. But even just from the gardening and buying the preparations, you know. But it, you just feel like oh, I'm in here. I'm doing it. I'm doing. I'm stirring. It feels good. It feels good. <laughs> you're connected. You're like you know. You're paying attention. And I've had some conventional growers who were transitioning, like guys who work for Villa Maria, that mm-hmm. you know that were you know, Jonathan Hamlet's got them doing uh, the stuff and the stirring and all that. And they're like, you know, after the first year, like, we realize we're walking a little more over in this block. And we understand it. And we get a feel for that site a little more. And it's it's the cumulative everything, you know. That's right. It's the
1: same as growing your food or hunting for your meat. It's having a connection to what you're doing and, you know, the life you're living, really, isn't it?
0: What about on the winemaking side, though? That's... um, you know, obviously James is up in Gisborne. has you know been doing it for a long time, and I've seen all his little projects, projects <laughs> and things he has going in the in the. I think is it possibly a little bit more subtle in the winery outside of you know the copper. Uh, you know you can um, what is it? You can't really. You're not going to add copper, but you can use a copper pipe, that kind of stuff. But outside yeah. of that, I don't really know the 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 winemaking side of it that much you know
1: well I guess like every season there's always a new challenge no matter how you're farming and you're sort of making your wine depending on the season a lot and I think it always comes back to the wine is grown in the vineyard so no matter how you play or what projects you've got going the fruit is going to shine from what you've your effort before it gets to the winery.
0: Hmm.
1: But as for what you do in there
0: I mean obviously managing fermentation and
1: Yeah, it's know, the same as any winemaking. But
0: it yeah, I've never uh, I've never worked in a biodynamic <laughs> winery, you know, I've seen the
1: I guess you have to be quite meticulous, you know, using less sulphur and obviously you need to keep things well topped and tidy and clean and...
0: Yeah. Same, same, you know. same. You don't have as much of the arsenal of weapons... Yeah, exactly. ...that we have in modern winemaking these days. Um, yes, so... Uh, we talked about Schubert. And, uh, well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about them. You did the one vintage there, but they're a family-owned winery. And didn't they have... Uh, I'm not Schubert, I'm sorry. Milton. Uh, no, about... Um, Yuliker. Yuliker, yes. We're right across the street from Schubert, yeah. so that's what <laughs> yeah, confused yeah. me. Um, uh, Yuliker family vineyard. Didn't, I had first heard of them, I think, when I, maybe like 2008 or nine. then they won some big...
1: They've won a lot of trophies with their pinots. I think,
0: you know, their, their pinots are really strong and their previous
1: winemaker, Oti Jakoveta from Finland, um, has constantly made, you know, great pinot off that site. Um But yeah, they're they're a small estate, they're going through a bit of replanting, Um, it's on the market and I think a fantastic site, locked right in between Escarpment's vineyard out there and, you know, Craggy Range just down the road, Um, they all produce grapefruit and I think there's huge potential for planting some more um, space out there and Maybe turning into organics, I think would be, you know, an easy spot to make that transition. Mm-hmm. Being elevated river terrace and yeah.
0: On the actual escarpment, exactly. You know, you're kind of right there. I was
1: filling the tanker this morning, and sun was coming up over the hills, over the, the Coupe Hills, and it's just magic. It's
0: just, yeah, it's pretty amazing out there. I mean, when I every time because I drive so much back and forth from Hawks Bay. To Martinborough, and I—that's I, one of the things I try to convey when I'm like trying to sell this, you know, my Pinot in the States—is like it is this perfect little Pinot pocket. Mm. You know, you first you hit the hills, kind of right near uh, Woodville, and it yeah. gets—it always seems to get cloudier, rainier. Around it's always raining in Woodville. Yeah, it's—it's <laughs> it's so funny. And then like you kind of turn off, and then by the time you're getting into Martinborough, you do these like two or three drops down. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, and then you look around and there's hills on all these other sides with a little southerly opening. And it's just this coolness that comes through with the sunlight and it doesn't get as much rain as maybe the hills all around it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then Tamuna is like this other little magic offshoot, offshoot to the side. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, well, we're pretty blessed in New Zealand with visuals, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly... Not at the bottom of any list out in Timuna. Because yeah. Martinborough, you know, you got this cute town and everything, but it's kind of covered. You wouldn't really know it. Sitting here, it's a pretty little picturesque town. But when you go out to Timuna, it's that more raw New Zealand.
1: Absolutely. And that's know, what I love about this region and the coastline and the hills and the diversity of bush. And, yeah, it's kind of uh, spot on for me anyway.
0: Because there's a, we're, we're, I think we're going to try to go to the beach that's – some famous beach, maybe between Hawke's Bay and Martinborough. Castle Point? Yes. <laughs> and everybody's like, you haven't been there? you got to go. The, you know. I don't think
1: I've ever been to Castle Point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to go to Tora or we But um, I've been to Riversdale. But yeah, it's meant to be quite magic out there.
0: Yeah, these the little beaches that nobody gets out to, I and mean, we have a couple in Hawke's Bay. I mean,
1: and you go out there and you realize just how much land there is between here and the coast as you're going up to Hawks Bay. Like it's huge.
0: Yeah, there's that's there are these parts, and that is one of them. Like it's a bit untouched. You mm. know, there's obviously some up near Gisborne as well. Yeah, where there's just these chunks that nobody's in, no, nothing's there, just bush, and then you get out and there's this amazing beach. I mean, Ocean Beach in Hawke's Bay is funny because. You think of that's like a busy beach, but on any given day, it's like this massive crescent moon beach. It's
1: so long. There might, it? It's
0: so long, and there might be forty or fifty people out there.
1: Yeah, Whereas if you're at a beach it's like yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so
0: busy today. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you what, the Labor weekend down down here at the coast was busy. So, like, I lived down towards Puranoa one year, and uh, the traffic going out there it was like.
0: Well, it's one road it's anyway. It's a
1: circus at the lighthouse. Everyone parked to walk up to the lighthouse and back out. wow. <laughs> Crazy.
0: Not used to that in New Zealand. No. No. <laughs> uh, these packed beaches. Oh, good. Um, so, yes, now we're on to Erlar and uh, exciting times ahead.
1: Very, very excited. What's
0: the plan? Go in, change the whole regime, you know? No. Put your fingerprint on everyone. No, uh, not you at know. all. You just Go start. in there
1: and... Meet the team, and hopefully we'll have a fantastic growing season. And
0: hopefully yeah, we are going to. We it.
1: are. I mean, it's been a great spring, hasn't it? Quite mild out there. Quite warm today. Lots of growth and things looking like healthy. All them. their
0: vineyards, pretty much at the site there. They are. Yeah. yeah. Yep.
1: It's all planted right there below the winery, yeah. next to the winery.
0: Yeah, and they've got their little, little and, lake there, you know, and uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's good to have that mix in New Zealand where you have this raw space, but then a nice modern, pretty modern winery, you know, it's good Yeah, I think it's got a few toys. It's got a few toys. It's got, I can say for a fact, awesome refrigeration. Nice. Which you'll appreciate. I've seen the chilling on the tanks when they need to be turned on, get that nice ice cake around it, you know, to stabilize your whites or whatever you need to do. It's pretty exciting. Oh, it's
1: going to (laughs) be (laughs) magic. Luxury. (laughs) Uh, I can't wait to work with Carol for the handover and see what she's done with this year's fruit and yeah, just um, get my
0: hands into it. And they Saviano, Pinot,
1: Pinot Gris,
0: Pinot Gris, Riesling. They do. That's right. They do do Riesling. A little yeah. bit of
1: Riesling. There's two hectares, I think. Yeah, oh, two,
0: that'll be that'll mm-hmm. be interesting.
1: Maybe one hectare. Yeah. I
0: have to get, start a new swap program with you for those wines again. <laughs> I think I'm just out of all the earl R. wines i've had in the past well that's awesome man i yeah. think um we could probably end it there yeah. you know before we get interrupted again <laughs> uh, well, the dog's been very good thanks for doing this thank and, you and uh yeah see you again soon and best of luck
1: awesome cheers dan
0: Thank you, Janine, You're a darling, for doing that. We got interrupted at one point, um, which I think it's one of the first times that's ever happened. <laughs> but we had to pause and restart again. I don't know if we lost our momentum, but uh, anyway, she's a mate, so it was all pretty natural. But yeah, we sort of got interrupted by uh, the owner of the house where we were doing the podcast down in Martinborough, and uh, Doggy and stuff like that. So uh, anyway... At vintage at Vin Story podcast on Twitter, please follow. I, I think I've got four followers right now because I just started, so uh, I'm going to you know, obviously try to expand that. So if any of you guys are out there on the in the Twitterverse, uh, please follow so you know exactly. You know you can share episodes. Really trying to spread the word about this, certainly within New Zealand and America, and uh, we're gonna, like I said, try to do some European podcasts coming up from Italy. Uh, again, special thanks to Janine. Thanks for doing that. And, uh, we'll catch you guys soon. Merry Christmas.